want to begin tonight with, a, with an extremely, extremely familiar passage, but one with a, a much needed and sometimes not fully realized or understood or utilized message. And that's Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 28, wherein it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from, from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Sometimes we use that passage, particularly verse 28, just before or during an invitation at, at the end of a sermon, because it is widely recognized as having application to when someone first comes to Christ to be baptized and have their sins washed away and become a New Testament Christ, Christian. We often use it in that context to talk about or to indicate how we'll find rest for our souls in that our soul is given rest from having to pay the eternal price for our sins. And while that's true, I believe there's more going on there with this text than just that. You see, while verse 29 talks about rest for your souls, while this rest is for your souls, verse 29, its application is not only limited to the eternal spiritual realm as we sometimes tend to want to make or interpret it. But when Jesus talks there in Matthew 11, 27 and 28 about finding rest for your soul, there's a, an application in the earthly, physical world or realm as well. And here's why I say that. First off, let's consider the phrase, rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. Three things about that. Number one, the immediate context. The immediate context, according to verses 25 through 27, we'll find rest for our souls in coming to know who Jesus truly is while we're here on earth. Secondly, Jesus also in his own earthly life referred to his own soul as being troubled and even exceedingly sorrowful even to death in places like John chapter 12 and verse 27 and Matthew 26 and verse 38. Thirdly, we know that there's some earthly application here, even though it's using the word soul. We know that it's, it's talking about some physical application because the word soul is often applied to certain earthly things. For example, while Mary was here, and she certainly was on earth, in Luke 1 and verse 46, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord, a song that we sing particularly at Tri-State. And her soul magnifying the Lord was something she was doing here and now. When Simeon said to Mary in the temple in Luke 2 and verse 35, yes, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. He was talking about an earthly set of circumstances. When the Lord Jesus Christ himself said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength he was talking about an earthly application of this word soul and so 
As we continue to consider tonight this earthly application of finding rest for our souls in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, the next thing I'd like for us to notice is the Lord says that that rest for our souls comes from two things. Taking his yoke upon us and learning from him. And again, while there's many applications, there's many extensions of, of this verse in ways that we could use it, I want to head in one specific direction tonight, and, and that is when it comes to certain aspects of our earthly lives. So, so let's take a look at that first term in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. If we are going to find rest from our burdens, we need to take his yoke upon us. That's the first phrase. You see, right, finding rest for our souls in this life, finding that spiritual rest and finding that peace and that joy and that comfort and that happiness and that contentment and that fulfillment begins, as we know, by coming to Christ. Having our sins washed away, having that burden taken. That's where it begins. But then it continues when we take his yoke up on us. What does that mean? means this. When we come to him and we lay down, as it were, or we exchange our everyday earthly cares and burdens and worries and sorrows to take his yoke, in other words, to take up his service, to join him in the effort he's trying to take care of. We know what that is. That's spreading the kingdom. Jesus put it another way in the Sermon on the Mount, the same idea. If you back up with me to Matthew chapter 6, again, a very familiar passage, but, but we see this same truth here in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 of, of how contentment comes by laying our earthly cares and worries on him and taking up his spiritual yoke. And if we do that, he'll take care of us. And, and that's the message he'd already preached in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Beginning at verse 25, we know this text. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little, clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? After all these things the Gentiles seek, and your Heavenly Father knows you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What's the message? The message is, if we come to Christ, we lay all of our needs and cares and burdens upon him, and just take up his yoke, and we be concerned about his business, he'll take care of ours, in very general terms. That's how those two line up. If we trust him enough to put his heavenly business of seeking and saving the lost and serving the church of the kingdom first, 
He will make sure to take care of our earthly business and all that goes with it, and we don't need to concern ourselves with it. Doesn't mean we don't have to go out and work when we have a job. That's not what that means. Question is, do we really believe that? Do our lives really reflect that? When I stepped out, Karen and I stepped out, and I became a preacher, we learned to trust that very quickly. I took a severe cut in pay when I became a preacher from what I was doing. And you know what? Through all these years of preaching since 2001, God's taken care of us. Taken care of us very well, even though, even though you know, like I said, I, I took a heavy pay cut and we thought, how are we going to do this and is it even possible? And, and we did it. Thank you, God. And, and that doesn't mean I'm rich or anything, because I'm not as far as American standards. But the point I'm trying to make here is that now I don't worry about it. I look back and I say, you know what? God's taking care of me. I'm 63 years old. He's taking care of me. He's taking care of me when I didn't see how it was going to happen. So I don't worry about it much. Sort of like when I became a Christian, one of the things that I learned to do real quick, <coughs> as I told you before, is drive the speed limit. And I set my cruise down, I drive the speed limit. Now I don't have to worry about cops. We were out somewhere the other day and we saw like four cruisers in a matter of like 20 minutes. It's like, okay, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if there's one in every U-turn, in every place between here and Tulsa, they ain't gonna bother me. It's kind of cool, you see these guys coming up behind you and they're doing, you know, like 75, 80 miles an hour and they're they top the hill, and, you know, the brakes come on because they, you know, radar detector goes off. I, I, I just drive by and smile. I don't have to worry about it. I don't, I don't think about it. And this is the same thing that God wants us to understand. If we'll just put his kingdom first, we don't even have to worry about some of this other stuff. If we'll bring him our burdens and lay them down and we'll take his yoke up and worry about getting his business done, then, then he'll take care of the rest. And what that does is that brings us to and sets us up for the second term in Matthew 11:29, the one I really want to get to and, and spend the rest of the evening discussing, wherein Jesus offers us rest for our souls. And that second term is we get rest from our souls when we learn from him and his lowly, gentle example how to truly find and experience rest for our souls. The rest for our souls that Jesus obviously had and enjoyed. Jesus was at peace. He was at rest. Now he didn't have it easy, but he was at rest with it all. He was at peace with it all. And he wants to show us how to do that. And he says, the way that you're going to do that is by, by following my example, learning from me. You know, we all know the verses, like James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We know those verses. We know verses like Luke 6, 22 and 23, which says, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, 
and when they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. We know that verse. We know passages like Matthew 5 and verse 44 that say, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. But brethren, we know those things are hard. Let's be honest. We know they're hard. It's tough to do, okay? It really is. It is incredibly hard. Some might even say impossibly hard because because when people do those sorts of things and they exclude and they revile and they hate and, and they do all these things because, because we're Christians, because we're trying to do what the Bible says, you know, the first response, I mean, we're human beings, the first response is to get defensive. The first response is to say, I'm, I, how can you say that? And I mean, we do. It is incredibly difficult, let's be honest, it is incredibly difficult to rejoice when we're being reviled. It is hard to be happy when we're being hated. It is difficult to be elated when we're being excluded, to be loving when we're being lied about, to remain joyful when people are jumping all over us, to be happy and at peace and at rest when all of these things are happening to us and folks are doing everything they can to destroy us or our name or our reputation and this is the bottom line but that's exactly what Jesus did while they were doing all those things to him Jesus had rest how'd he do it how'd he do it he did it we know he did it we watched him do it he, he what that is so difficult, and yet Jesus somehow didn't. Jesus didn't just simply say, be at peace and rest. He also showed by his example how it could be done, continuing to be at peace and rest, even when some of these awful things were going on and being said about him. Remember, you know this. Just look with me in Matthew chapter 27 and how Jesus did this. It's amazing. I mean, we read it on paper and we say, yeah, I'd like to do that, and I try to do that, but, but Jesus was just so good at it. Look at how at rest he was in Matthew chapter 27, right in the middle of when they were hating and railing and reviling against and lying about both him and everything he was and had said and had done. Everything he was, everything he had said, everything he had done. They were hating on him for all of it. They were reviling him for all of it. They were lying about him for all of it. But Jesus had rest in his soul. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 59. Look what it says. I'm sorry. Let me go back there. Matthew 26. I don't know why I put 27 down. 26. My bad. Matthew 26, verse 59. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony. They went looking for paid liars to, to lie about him. All the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. 
Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three, in three days. They're trying to undermine everything he said and did. The high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? Jesus, just stand there. They're trying to undo everything he did. They're trying to unsay everything he said. They're lying about what he said. Jesus just standing there. The high priest says, do you answer nothing? Uh, even the high priest can't believe how much peace and rest Jesus has got. What is it that these men testify against you? Jesus kept silent. The high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, now think of all the things Jesus could have said. Think of all the, the things that Jesus could have said. He could have said, that's not what I said. These guys are, are, are not telling the truth. Jesus could have come at this so many ways, but what, but what did he say? Well, he has perfect calm and peace and rest about it. He says, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now Jesus knew what that was going to get him. But he's at rest about it. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He's spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you've heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they said, He's deserving of death. And they spat in his face, and they beat him, and they struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ. Who's the one who struck you? I mean, they are, just, they are laying into him hardcore. Jesus is at rest, even in the midst of all of that. So when he says in Matthew 11, Come to me. I will give you rest for your souls. This is part of, of what he's talking about. Because Jesus promised us that they would do to us as faithful disciples what they had done to him, John 15, 18 and following. The thing that we need to do if we would enjoy this same rest for our souls is to learn from Jesus how he did it. How on earth did Jesus do it? And don't tell me he did it because he was God and he was immune to feeling. That's not true and we all know it's not true. He was a son of God, that's true, but he wasn't immune from feeling. He was a 100% man, too. How'd he do it? That's the key. If we can just boil this down and say, that's how he did it, then I can, from his example, I can learn from him and I can find that rest for my soul in the midst of those kind of turmoils. Jesus, how did you do it? The answer is very simple. First Peter... Chapter 2 is the answer. We don't need to go to 18 different verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 21, here's how he did it. This is our example. This is the one we learn from in order to have rest for our souls. <coughs> for to this you were called, 1 Peter 2, verse 21, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Yeah, but how'd he do it? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? Fine, but how'd he do it? When he suffered, he did not threaten. Okay, but how'd he do it? Here it comes. But committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's it. That's how he did it. That's it. It's that simple. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. Okay, so what does that mean exactly? Okay, that's how he did it, but, but what does it mean? 
I'm going to tell you one of the things it means. Jesus knew that he did not have to deal with those people or their lies or seek to defend himself in this life. Why? Because he knew that in the end, God was going to take care of it. He committed himself to God. He understood that God, in the end, was going to take care of it all. And he didn't have to deal with it while he was here on earth. He knew that in the end, that those who did such things were going to have to face every single one of them before his all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful Father in heaven. He knew that they were going to have to face those things before his Father in heaven, before whom there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account, Hebrews 4 and verse 13. He knew that they were going to have to give an account to his Father for every idle word they had spoken on the day of judgment, and that by their words they would be condemned, Mark, uh, Matthew 12, 36 and 7. You see, instead of Jesus taking on all that burden, instead of Jesus worrying about all that, instead of Jesus taking on all that defense and all of that, that stress of trying to figure out who said what to whom and how come and, and, and what they meant or who lied about what he said, he, he didn't worry about all that because he knew God would take care of it on the last day. And so he just committed it to God. And he had no burden. He knew his father would take care of it. He knew that his, and, and obviously, I mean, Jesus, I'm not saying Jesus not involved in the judgment. He is, I'm saying while he was here earthly, in earthly form, he didn't have to deal with it. Because he knew that it would be taken care of. He knew God on the last day would deal with it perfectly. Perfectly. Righteously. And therefore, as I said, he didn't have to deal with it, be burdened by it, trouble over it, or even pay any t attention to it whatsoever to what they were saying. He didn't have to pay any, it's like me, I don't pay any attention anymore when I see a cop sitting in the middle of the road. I don't have to worry about it. Why? Been taken care of. What a beautiful piece we find in his example. Now, Jesus was going to the cross so that anybody who did those things could turn from them if they wanted to and, and be cleansed of those sins and rise up to walk in newness of life. And, and the reason Jesus was going to the cross even to forgive such people that, that did those things if they wanted that forgiveness was because he knew that without repentance and forgiveness they were going to face the full wrath of God on the last day. He knew that. And brethren, if we don't think that that's going to happen, that every deed will come up before God and that, that such things will, will come up before him. Look with me just real quickly in Proverbs 19. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 5. Here's a promise. Proverbs 19 and verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Look at verse 9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. Now, 
What though if somebody becomes a Christian or what if it's God forbid, but what if it's a Christian that does that? Well, does God have a perfect plan in place to deal with that as well? An absolutely flawless, perfect plan, a 100% righteous, 100% all-seeing, 100% totally perfect plan to deal with that, does he? God still got a plan for that? So either way, Jesus didn't have to worry over or be burdened by what people said. Either way. That's the message in Romans chapter 12 for us. Turn to Romans chapter 12 and, and see this message reflected to the church. Well, we don't have to worry about those things. And, and what, a, what a freeing thing it is. What a, it, it's like, again, I mean, I keep coming back to this, but it's like riding down the road with the cruise control on at the speed limit. It's like, I have a conversation with Karen. I can be listening to music. I don't have to worry about it. it it's not even a concern. And, and these things don't need to be a concern because, because God in his, in his beauty and his glory, he's, he's, got to, he's going to take care of it. And, and so Jesus did, just didn't worry about it. It just wasn't a big deal to him. They could say and do what they wanted to. God was going to take care of it. And, and this is the message to the church that we see in Romans 12, beginning at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Go down to verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Okay? We don't get all worked up when people say and do things and respond in kind. He said, don't do that. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do your best to live at peace with them. And then he says this, and boy, if this doesn't say exactly what I've been saying about God's going to take care of it all on the last day anyway, so we don't have to worry about it. Look at verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Says, God says, I will take care of all of that on the last day. You needn't worry about it. I will deal with it. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. And so as we look at Jesus' example of how he stayed at rest in peace, we find that we, like him, don't need to be troubled or wearied or burdened or concerned over what people say about us. What we need to do, simply give it to God and trust God, <clears throat> knowing that he will take care of it all. Listen, the first part of this lesson, we talked about how when we come to Christ, Matthew chapter 6, the passage that we read, that if we put the kingdom first, that God will take care of us. Isn't that what we said? Did we read that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We know the passage, right? God will take care of it, right? We trust him to do that, don't we? Well, he also said that he's going to take care of all that other stuff that people say and do too. Do we trust him there so we don't, just don't have to deal with it? We should trust him on both fronts because the same God said both things. And what does that do for us? Makes our lives a lot freer, easier, less stressed, less burdened. Almost sounds like rest for our souls, doesn't it? Because that's what Jesus did. There was a man in the Old Testament who seemed to have some understanding of this idea, and it was David. Please turn to me to Psalm 62. David seemed to grasp this idea to an extent. Psalm 62. 
Look at how this played out from David's words. We all know that David, Saul went after David hardcore. Saul tried to kill him. He didn't just say things about him. He tried to kill him. Saul, King Saul. And David, when he had several opportunities, he left it up to God to deal with Saul, didn't he? God left it totally up to, up, I mean, David left it totally up to God to deal with King Saul. Psalm 62, look what David wrote. Truly my soul, verse 1, Psalm 62, silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? <clears throat> You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. David said, look, this is the situation that I'm in. What's he going to do about it? Verse 5. My soul, wait silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him. David is saying, I know what's being said and done, but I'm going to let God deal with it. My expectation is for him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I don't need to defend myself. God is my defense. I shall not be moved. I'm not going to let this just drive me down. I'm not going to let it get all over me. I'm going to just trust God to take care of it because he's God and he said he would. Look at verses 11 and 12 of the same Psalm 11 and 12. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this. Power belongs to God, and to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. He said, if I just keep serving God, it's all I gotta do and God will take care of it all. One of the most beautiful things that we learn from Jesus' example in those situations where he was reviled and rejected or falsely accused is that because he gave it to God to deal with instead of letting it burden and weigh him down, and because he knew what those would face who continually anyway, without remorse, willfully, continually did those things, would face on Judgment Day, do you know what that caused Jesus to do? It led him to do something so much more soul-freeing and so much more rest-providing than ever becoming overburdened with all of that pain and anger that would have caused him if he didn't trust God to take care of it. You know what he did instead? He prayed for them. Instead of worrying about what they were saying about him, he got to saying things about them to God. Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If a man can go through what Jesus Christ went through, and he can endure all those things and, and, and be headed up to the hill to be crucified and through busted teeth and a bloody face can mutter out to God, Father, please forgive them for they know not what they do. That's a man at rest right there. I'm telling you, that's a man at peace. He wasn't worrying about, he, he could have gotten back at him if he'd wanted to, but, but God would take care of it, and he knew that, and he was at rest in peace. And that's his example, Matthew 11, 27 and 28, that we learn from. That's what kept Jesus humble and lowly in heart. 
It's also what kept him from being heavily burdened by some of those false accusations made about him. He knew that God would take care of it. He trusted God. He trusted God to keep his promise that he would see everything and take care of it all. And so what that did one more time, that freed him. That gave him rest. It freed him up to live, to serve God. Freed him from all of it. And he told us in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, that we could enjoy that same sort of freedom if we'd only learn from his example. How do we do it? We come to him. We come to him, lay it all down. Give it to God. That, 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 that person that's really irritating you, let it go. Give it to God. Say, God, I know you got this. I know that you have perfect. You, you know everything. You know intentions. You know whether it was on purpose. You know whether it wasn't. You know the hearts. You know the souls. You know every thought and intention of the heart. You know so much better than I do, God, about this person and this situation. So you know what? I'm not messing with it. I'm just giving it to you. I'm, I'm letting that burden go. I'm, I'm coming to you and I'm, I'm laying it all down. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and these things are pressing down on you. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn how I did it, Jesus said. And tonight we've learned how Jesus did it. He, he knew God would take care of it, and so he just let it go. And he wasn't carrying all that hurt and pain and anger. He just simply took up the yoke. He took up the mission, and he moved forward without worrying about all that other stuff other people were doing. That's Matthew 11, 27 and 8. One small application of it. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he said. Listen, serving the Lord and trying to extend the kingdom and just going about the Father's business is a lot lighter load than carrying all of that anger and all of that burden and all of that stress and all of that weight and all of that worry and all of that tension. It's so much easier just to serve God and to give that to God. Tonight, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Have you initially come to him and had your sins washed away in the blood of the lamb? If you have not yet come to him to be cleansed from carrying the burden of your sins, I'll quote another song, oh, why not tonight? But most of you here on a Sunday night have done that. So the question may be even more relevant tonight is for most of us, if you have come to Jesus in the waters of Christian baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, have you truly learned and benefited from his humble example since then? Have you truly found that rest for your soul that he promised? He said he would give it. Do you really, really, truly have it? Each one of us needs to look at ourselves and ask us that question. Do we really have that rest for our souls that only comes by giving to God the full responsibility of dealing with all of the hurtful things that people sometimes say or do to us? If you do not truly have that rest in your soul tonight, isn't it time you just gave those burdens up and laid them down at the foot? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Isn't it time to just, haven't you been burdened long enough? Aren't they getting just too heavy to bear? Aren't they just driving you into the ground? 
Isn't it time you just left him at the foot of the cross? Like, like, like you did the day that you left your sins there when you were buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. Isn't it time to follow his example, learn from him, become more like him? Trusting God to take care of it and instead of worrying about what everybody else is saying, zeroing in more on what I need to say to God on behalf of those folks. If it's time to come to him tonight in either of those two forms or fashions, to be baptized or to truly begin to lay that burden down and experience that rest he offers, now's the time. Let us know as we stand and sing.